Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bible, I hope you brought that with you today. I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. We're where we've been for the past several weeks. We'll be for the next several weeks as well as we are going through this letter or this book titled Joy in the Midst of Darkness. You know, a few wars in our nation's history were as controversial as the Vietnam War was. The war was entered with all the passion that most wars are started with, but only after a few short years and several frustrating battles later, the the national confidence of that war was shattered. Over 50,000 men and women were left dead as a result of it. You know, as tragic as that was, the sad reality of it all was that it was later discovered that not only had thousands upon thousands of Americans died on foreign souls, but that some had died, didn't die from their enemies, but they died from their allies instead. In other words, there were some who had died in Vietnam, not from enemy fire, but from friendly fire. And as we come to our text today, what what Paul is going to begin to to teach us and show us is that friendly fire can not only happen on the battlefield, friendly fire can actually happen within the church where other believers on the same team are shooting at each other. You see, up to this point in Paul's letter, Paul has been talking these past few verses about his circumstances. He's been wrongfully trialed. He's been wrongfully convicted. As a result, he's been wrongfully put in jail. But if you were with us last week, we know that even in these adverse conditions, Paul was still able to have a joy because A, he realized that he could start a prison ministry, even though that wasn't his intention. He realized he could share the, the, the gospel with the guards and the officials. And B, he also realized that his bravery was act his bravery was actually inspiring and encouraging other believers to actually go out and share the gospel just as he was. That's why we concluded last week by by looking at verse 14 where Paul says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they are even more to speak the word fearlessly. They were encouraged by Paul. They were inspired by Paul to put the gospel first in their lives just as he had. But I want you to take special notice of that first word in verse 14 again, where he says, most, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. Because yes, while it was true that most of his fellow believers were encouraged, uh, were inspired by his gospel witness, by his ministry, Paul also seems to suggest here that they were other believers, another group of believers who criticized him or worse yet wanted to see him fail. And so as we come to the next few verses here in chapter 1, what we're going to see Paul do is explain how we can deal with those types of people in the church. Those types of people who might be envy, envious of us. Uh, who might be envious of our success in a certain area in ministry, or, or maybe they see us as some kind of competition and they want to get the upper hand. Uh, he's he's going to show us how we can deal with those in the church who might have hidden motives, 
uh, who might have a, a selfish agenda or selfish ambitions by speaking harshly against us. And really what it boils down to here is this. Paul's going to show us how we can have joy even in the midst of discord, contention, and criticism, not from unbelievers, but from believers in the four walls of the church. So let's look at what he says here, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1 in the book of Philippians. Paul says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. The question is this, have you ever longed for or wished that our church, or the church for that matter, would be more like the early churches? that we read about in Scripture. You ever had those thoughts? I just wish, for example, I just wish that we could be like the Church of Acts. I mean, they they had it all together. They're the model church. I just wish we could be more like them. Or have you ever wished or longed for, I I just wish that our church would be more like the Church of Corinth, uh, that we would be more like the Church of Ephesus or the Church of Thessalonica. Right? Listen, those, those thoughts aren't bad. Okay? There, there are things about those churches that we find in Scripture, um, that are really good. They do a lot of good things. We can certainly learn from those churches. We can certainly admire some characteristics that those churches had. But the reality is this. What we need to understand is that none of these early churches that we read about, none of them were perfect. All of them had their fair shares of conflict. In fact, much of Paul's ministry and his teaching in the 13 books that he writes are dealing with conflict in a church. Okay, I mean, that's certainly the case right here in this text for Paul. Because here Paul is, he's he's suffering, he's in chains, uh, he's doing all this for the sake of advancing the gospel. Yet there are those in the church who are criticizing him right now. They're they're speaking lowly of him. They're hoping that Paul's just going to fall flat on his face and fail. Y'all, that's pretty low. That's that's pretty low to do to someone, let alone do it to the Apostle Paul, who is also a believer. But listen, before we start shaking our finger and saying shame on you, can we just stop and acknowledge and recognize that we too are prone to do very similar types of things? Of course, I'm not suggesting that you're doing those things right now, but what I am suggesting to you is this, that as like-minded believers... We too are also fallen sinners. We too are capable of sometimes doing things that are, that are unruly, that are going to bring other people down. I mean, I mean, how many times have you been tempted or maybe even acted on your temptation to spread rumors about someone in this church? How many times have you secretly been envious of someone's success in a certain ministry or a certain leadership responsibility in this church. 
How many times have you, have you volunteered or, or you've, you've chosen to go on the mission trip or help out with VBS or to, to lead a class? Not because you wanted to out of your love for God, but because you had some sort of hidden agenda, selfish motive or selfish ambition in order to, to puff yourself up and to make yourself look better than that other person sitting beside you. Listen, I I love all of you. I want you to know that I consider it a joy. I consider it a privilege to be your pastor in a a church like this one. I love it here, and I'm thankful for this role and responsibility. But listen, you and I both would be naive to suggest that we never encounter internal conflicts in this church. We would be naive to suggest that that inside these four walls, everything at all times, 24-7, is just Perfect. Because every church, even, even churches within the scriptures, they deal with conflict to a certain degree. You see, see, at the end of the day, ministry is messy. Ministry is messy. You want to know why ministry is sometimes messy? Because sometimes people are messy. Ministry can sometimes be very difficult, very frustrating, because sometimes people can be very difficult. People can be very frustrating. Listen, I I know that's not a very popular thing to say, let alone the pastor say it behind the pulpit. It's not going to grow a church. I get that. But what I am telling you is that this is the stark reality of it all. Because yes, while we are saved, while we are redeemed, while we are brothers and sisters in Christ, like brothers and sisters, sometimes we're going to find ourselves in conflict with one another. Or worse yet, we're going to find ourselves in contention, in, in disagreements, in arguments, trying to build ourselves up over this other person. But if we are not careful, that will disrupt relationships. That will, that will hurt the unity of a church. And that is exactly what the enemy wants. So we must be on guard about all of this. And so the question this morning for all of us to, to try to seek to answer is what do we do? What do we do? In moments like that. If that's true, Jeremy, then what, did, what then am I to do? More specifically, how do I find joy in the midst of conflict, in the midst of contention, in the midst of criticism of other like-minded believers? I'll admit those are tough questions to ask and, and even more difficult to answer. But the, listen, the beauty... The beauty of it all is that in this passage, Paul's actually going to show us how we can do this, how, how, how we are to respond in these types of situations. He's going to do it in three main ways. It's going to guide our time today. I'll just go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll spend the rest of our time breaking these down. But here they are. If you take notes, write these down. Number one, he's going to identify the troublemaker. Okay, number two, he's going to ratify the truth maker. And then number three... He's going to magnify the true message. Identify the troublemaker, ratify the truth maker, and magnify the true message. Let's, let's, let's spend some time talking about each one of these for a moment. Let's start with the first one first, which is to identify the troublemaker. Identify the troublemaker. In other words, who were these people that opposed Paul in this text? Well, the first thing that I would point out to you, I think I've already done that, but I'll point out to you again. We know there are other believers. I mean, that, that much we know. Uh, again, that's why Paul says at the beginning of, of verse 14, 
that most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Verse 15. But to be sure, some preach Christ. Right? In other words, the people that were picking on Paul right here, that were giving him such a hard time, yes, some of them were the Roman emperor, some of them were the Roman guards and the officials, but it was also other believers, and more specifically, it was believers who were also in the ministry sharing the gospel message just as Paul was. Listen, I know that seems hard to believe, and you're just like, are you kidding me? But that's what Paul says here. There were people in Paul's day who did not see Paul as a dearly loved friend. They did not see him as a partner or co-laborer in the work of the ministry. No, they seemed to almost see him as a foe. Or at the very least, competition. They did not have the best interest in mind when it came to him. And they wanted to see him suffer even more than what he was right now. So if all of that is the case... If all that's the case, what were some of the characteristics of these troublemakers? Well, well Paul's going to give us a fourfold description of them in, in verses 15 through 17. Uh, he says, number one, that they were jealous. These troublemakers, they were, they were very jealous people. Look again at how Paul describes this about them in verse 15. He says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of, get this word, envy. Okay, envy is just a fancy word for jealousy. And apparently there were believers in Rome or, or other places that were jealous of Paul. Now you might say, well, what in the world were they jealous of? And what, were they, what, were they, what were they jealous of when it came to Paul? Well, for starters, we know that Paul was quite successful in the ministry. We know that Paul was highly intelligent. We know that Paul was, was very gifted. We know that, that Paul had an ability to share and spread the gospel message like very few people uh, could in his day. Furthermore, we know that Paul had seen a vision of the resurrected Christ, which put him in a very small percentage of people. At the same time, we know that Christians, at this time that this was being written, were, were beginning to see his, his letters as Holy Scripture. So, so you see, Paul was an easy target for troublemakers because they were envious of his prominence. They were envious of his success, and because of that, they were constantly looking for ways to shoot him down. Now listen, before we move on, i got to ask. i got to ask, do you know people like that? Do, do you know people like that? Worse yet, does that describe you? Does, 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 this, does this description describe you? For example, are you constantly comparing yourself with others in ministry? Do you resent them when, when they seem to be the ones being praised instead of you? Or let me just put it to you like this. Do you rejoice when your friends succeed? Or do you secretly grow jealous of them when they succeed? Hoping that one day they might fall so that you can actually take their place in the spotlight be put on you. See, I think all of us, if we were to be honest, would say, yes, from time to time I am tempted to do these things, but the reality is that that type of behavior is only going to lead to, to frustration. It's going to lead to, to bitterness. It's going to lead to disunity. And truthfully, it will steal your joy, which is why we must be on guard about those things. 
All right, so that's the first characteristic of these troublemakers, but there's another one that Paul gives us, and that is number two, they were contentious. They were contentious. Look again in our text in verse 15. It says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You see, not only were these troublemakers jealous of Paul's ministry, but they saw him as a rival, which meant that they were always stirring up the pot. Uh, They were always arguing about this or that when it came to Paul. Now, to be fair, we don't know exactly what their beef was. Scripture doesn't really say what these believers' beef was with Paul. Perhaps some of them were saying that the reason Paul was in jail was because God was punishing him for some type of sin, and so maybe they're, they're making those claims. Uh, maybe perhaps they're making the claims that, that Paul must not have tapped into the, the Spirit-filled life because if he had, he wouldn't be in prison, but that he would actually be outside of prison, free to do the work of the ministry like these people were. Uh, truthfully, we, we just don't know why they saw Paul as a rival. But what we do know, listen to this, but we do know is that serving Jesus out of rivalry is a warped motivation. Okay, that's the application for us right there. Serving Jesus out of rivalry is a warped motivation. Unfortunately, this is true, though, for many believers and in many churches today. I mean, how, how sad is it to compete with other believers who are actually on the same team that you're on? How sad is it to serve with, with hidden motives and ambitions while the heart of our message should be about a Savior who emptied Himself for sinners? Church, avoid the sin of rivalry and contention by, by caring for the glory of Jesus more than your own. Make it your ambition to make His name known more than yourselves, for that will lead you to a place out of rivalry and into a place of unity, into a place of joy of working together instead of seeing your brother and sister as a foe. Okay, so these people, these troublemakers, they were number one, they were jealous. Number two, they were contentious. Paul's going to give us another description of them by saying that they were also selfish. They were selfish. Skip down to verse 17. I know we're skipping a little bit. We'll come back to it. But skip down to verse 17 and look at how Paul describes this. He says, The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Now listen, this is a very interesting uh, term that Paul uses right here. In fact, it's a political term uh, that speaks about a politician canvassing for office when he uses a, a negative campaign ad to try to put people down in an attempt to build himself up or to puff himself up and say, look at me. All right, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen those ads where people are just politicians in general are, are slamming the other uh, politicians so that they, uh, in effect, can look better than that person? Well, in a very similar way, that's what these troublemakers apparently were doing when it came to Paul. Uh, they were trying to put him down so that they could puff themselves up like a politician might do. And Paul says that's their selfish motive. That's their, that's their selfish ambition in doing these things. Now listen, as I've thought about that this week in preparation for this message and thought about the application for us today, I think I've realized that for most of us at least, our selfish ambitions, our, our selfish motives oftentimes manifest themselves in gossip. Don't they? 
For example, the next time you hear gossip, and unfortunately there is far too much gossip that occurs even within these four walls, think of the motive of the gossiper. In other words, ask yourself the question of why is this person person saying this or that about that person, whether it's true or not, but why are they spreading these rumors? Why are they spreading this gossip? And I think what you'll discover almost every single time is that they're doing that to tear that person down so that they can look better as a result. Church, that's a selfish ambition. And really, it's not too far removed from what Paul is talking about here in this text. So again, may I challenge you, may I encourage you not to tear one another down, but to build one another up. Not to have your own selfish ambitions, but to share your ambitions with one another in Christ. To faithfully serve Him together and not serve yourselves so that the spotlight can be upon you. Okay, so again, just to recap, these people were jealous. They were contentious. They were uh, selfish uh, and, and jealous, all those things. And then Paul's going to give us one more description of these troublemakers. Okay, And he's going he's to kind of sum it all up for us. And that's this, number four. They were malicious. I mean, they, they were just malicious group of individuals. Look at verse 17 as he kind of sums this up. Paul says, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble. Your Bible might say affliction or distress, that they might cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Now now Paul's really showing these people's true colors if he hasn't already done so, right? In essence, he's saying that, that their motivation in doing all of this is because they want to see me suffer. They genuinely want me to suffer while I am imprisoned and in chains. Now let's just think about this for a moment because for Paul, it was already bad, right? I mean, Paul, Paul is locked up right now with the Roman guard 24-7 uh, for two years. That's how long this took place. That means for, for two whole years, Paul would have had no privacy, Paul would have had no freedom uh, that we take for granted today. For example, Paul could not use the bathroom alone. Paul would not have been able to eat a meal alone. Uh, He certainly couldn't spend any time alone because quite literally, there is a Roman guard every few hours changing out, but a Roman guard who is literally basically attached to his hip. There was, one, there was shackles on Paul, but then there was another chain, and that was on a Roman guard. So Paul was always around these people. Now listen, I don't know about you. That would be enough for me to go crazy and go mad. I mean, can you imagine, for two years, two years, you, you get no relief from this stuff. When you're trying to sleep, there's someone right there. When you're trying to eat, there's someone right there. When you're trying to use the bathroom, there's someone right there. Two years, two years. Just think about mentally what that would do to someone, the suffering that he is enduring. But on top of that, we also know that he is in shackles. On top of that, we also know that, that he had to be in chains. Uh, and we can probably imagine, right, what this was doing to his skin. We can probably imagine what this was doing to his body and his bones over this long period of time. For example, it was probably irritating his skin and bones and, and scabs would begin to form. Deep bruises would begin to form. These, these scabs would probably begin to peel back will begin to open up and bleed, right? And you get, you get the idea, right? This would have been a, a terrible, terrible situation. Paul was, Paul was suffering. 
He was suffering, but it's almost like these troublemakers are saying, that's not good enough. I want you to suffer even more while you're in chains. And again, please keep in mind that these troublemakers are not some crooks or thieves. These are other ministers. These are other evangelists. Yet despite the gospel message that they are preaching, they want to inflict more pain on Paul by by picking at him while this is taking place, by mocking him while this is taking place, by ridiculing him while this is taking place. And as we've already made note of today, unfortunately there are far too many people, even people within the church, that in a similar way want to do the same thing. They want to just see us suffer because they are jealous or they have some motive in doing this. And so they speak illy of you, speak harshly about you. So the question, the question, right, is what do we do? I mean, what do we do when things like this happen to us? What do we do when we have people in our lives, even people in the church, that want to stir up conflict, that start criticizing us, that start disrespecting us and speaking harsh words against us, even if we are being faithful, even if, uh, for the most part, uh, innocent, no real sin taking place. What do we do? Well, I'll tell you and start by this by saying, I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't repay insult with insult. That's only going to compound the problem. That's only going to make that problem ten times worse. That's where you see blow-ups and this thing manifests into something even greater than what it already is. Now, that's not what you do. Instead, I would suggest what you do is what Paul does. Look at what he does. And that's this. Look, he pivots. Paul pivots. In other words, yes, you identify the troublemakers. They're not going to be hard to find. They're going to stand out, but, but you don't stay there. You don't stay there and realize that all of this is taking place. What's that going to do in the long run if you do that? It's going to lead to you just always being mad. It's going to lead to you always resenting people. It's going to lead to you losing your joy in the process. No, instead you identify the troublemakers, you pivot, and then you ratify the truth makers. You ratify the truth makers. This is the second principle or the second step that Paul is showing us here. How can we find joy in the midst of conflict? Well, yeah, you identify the troublemakers, but then you pivot and you ratify the truth makers. Let me show you. Go back to verse 15 again. Paul says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. We talked about these troublemakers, but watch, he's going to do something. But others out of goodwill. You see what he's doing? He's, He's pivoting. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Y'all, I love this. I love this. Paul has found the silver lining in the dark cloud of contention, and he does this not by focusing on what's wrong or the negatives, but by focusing on what's right and the positives. In other words, while Paul knew that there was this group of ministers and evangelists who, while sharing the gospel... We're also murmuring insults and criticisms about him in an attempt to, to puff themselves up to look better. He at the same time knew that there was another group of believers, ministers, evangelists who were sharing the gospel, but they were doing it out of good will. 
In fact, unlike this other group of troublemakers, these people probably believed that Paul was put in prison for a, re- for a reason. But it wasn't because of punishment. It's because they believed that, that God had put Paul there so that he could share the gospel with these groups of people, whether it be the guards or the emperor or some other type of prisoner. And so they are cheering Paul on, even in the conflict. You see, rather than just focusing on the small smudge that is on the white linen garment and get mad over it, Paul decides to focus on all the other white linen garment that surrounds the smudge. That's how he finds joy. In other words, Paul's saying, I recognize and and realize that there are some people who have selfish motives and want to see me fail, but I also realize that there is even more people whose motives are pure who want to actually see me succeed in my ministry. And so part of Paul's strategy here is to starve the problem and feed the solution. Starve the problem and feed the solution. Find those who love you, who love the work of God in you, and choose to run the race with them. Ratify those people, encourage them, empower them, build up the kingdom of God together with them and just keep running ahead of those troublemakers and those who want to see you fail because over time their voices will diminish. They will grow faint as you continue to just keep running the race to persevere and to run with those who will encourage you, empower you on. Y'all, I don't know about you, that's just great practical advice. Right there. Words to live by. I love that about Paul. I love that about this book that he wrote. But guess what? It gets even better because Paul's going to continue on this teaching. He's going to give us one more strategy. He's going to say this. He says that when this conflict occurs, when, when this contention occurs with other believers, you do one more thing. You magnify the true message. You magnify the true message, which is always... The gospel, at least it was for Paul. Look at how Paul wraps this teaching up in verse 18. He says, what does it matter? You want to know how we translate that today? How would we say, what does it matter? We'd say, so what? We'd say, so what? So what? Only that in every way, whether from false motives, that is, those who have these selfish ambitions, these troublemakers... Or true, those who are also doing the ministry, but they're doing it out of goodwill. Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And you cannot stop this dude, can you? Because here's Paul, right? I mean, here's Paul. He's in jail. He's going to be in jail for two years. Uh, Ultimately, he's going to get released from jail, but then it's going to go right back into jail, and then it's going to be executed for his faith. He's being picked on by other believers, other evangelists. He's being mocked and ridiculed for his imprisonment, but then he sums it all up to say, so what? So what? And goes on to say, I'm going to rejoice right now, and I will continue to rejoice in the future. Church, I don't know how many of us would have the courage to say, you know, there's a lot of bad things happening to me right now. There's a lot of other people in this church that are speaking harshly against me, that things that aren't even true, and then have the audacity to say, so what? So what? 
I'm going to still find my joy. I'm going to still rejoice in the Lord. No, if we were Paul, I think we would say, shame on you, wouldn't we? We say, shame on you. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I saw I had a vision of the living Christ? Don't you know that I'm going to write 13 New Testament books? Paul, however, says, so what? So what? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to continue to rejoice. Y'all, that's an amazing, amazing reaction, is it not? That's a reaction that we should raise our eyebrows up and just be awestruck by. And listen, please don't equate Paul's reaction, and some people do this, but please don't, uh, this idea that Paul had just come to a point in his life where he was numb to criticism and that it it just rolled off his back. I don't buy that. Paul was a, a real person with real emotions. He was deeply wounded by what these believers were saying, but the key is that he did not let that steal his joy. No, instead, Paul actually found joy in all of this. Did you, did you catch that? He actually found joy even in the midst of these words of this conflict. He realized something, and this is so true for us. Listen to this. He realized that while these people's motives might be wrong, their message was right. In other words, while these believers had hidden agendas, while they had selfish desires in their gospel ministry, it was the fact that they were still going out and preaching the gospel message that Paul found joy. Because as we learned last week, he puts the gospel first. And Paul realizes that even though these people are are in some ways evil, their message is still pure. And I'm going to rejoice in that because the gospel message is still being preached. So the messenger, right, the messenger, it might have been stained, it might have been tainted, but the message was still clear. It was still pure. That's why Paul is rejoiced. He he minimizes the conflict. It's not that he doesn't ignore it. He, He understands it's there. He just minimizes it. And he magnifies the true message, which was the gospel. He knew that while these people's motives were not great, they were still preaching the gospel to the lost. They were still doing ministry. And listen, God can still use people like that. Maybe not to the fullest degree if they were actually doing it out of goodwill, but the reality is that the message is more powerful than the messenger. Okay, God can just use people who have flaws. He's hopefully using me right now, and I'm a sinner. Right? We're all examples of this. But this is how Paul found joy in the midst of conflict. And so let's listen, as we close, as we close, I'll just be honest. I don't know. I don't know about many of your conflicts. I don't know if you have any. I'm going to guess that in a crowd this big and for knowing that there's lots of households watching online, that for many of you there are conflicts right now. And I recognize and realize that for many of you, I don't know what those are. I realize that there are maybe, perhaps, people that are spreading rumors about you right now. Uh, Maybe they've spoken harshly about you. I don't know. They're, They're trying to stir up some type of trouble. But listen, what I do know, what I do know is that if you choose to dwell on that, if you choose to focus all of your attention and energy on that, that's going to end up stealing your joy. 
It just is. You're going to become bitter. You're going to be resentful. You're going to stay in a place that's going to prevent you from experiencing the joy that God wants you to find in Christ, and it will also keep you from ministering to others in the way that God has equipped you to do. So listen, as we close this morning, let me just remind you that all of us here today, all of us, those watching online too, all of us, we have a choice to make. Okay, we've, hit a, we've hit a crossroads. All of us hit this crossroad every single day. We have to go this way or, the, that, or that way. Option number one is this. Option number one is we can choose to focus on all the negatives. We can wake up and we say, I'm going I'm 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 to choose to focus on the negatives. I'm going to choose to focus on all the times that I got slighted or that this person or that person said something that was kind of mean. And guess what? Guess what? If you choose to do that, you won't have to look very long, will you? It won't take long for you to find the negatives of life. People will let you down. People are going to unfortunately say things that may hurt you, that may not be true. That was the case for Paul. It's certainly going to be the case for you and I as well. But listen, if you choose to stay there and to think upon those things, I'm here to tell you, you will not find much joy. You just won't. But see, there's another option, isn't there? There's another option that you, can, you and I can choose. It's the option that Paul took in this passage. Because instead of focusing on all the bad All the negative, you can choose to focus on all the good, on all the positive. Instead instead of focusing on all the times that you were wronged by him or her, you can choose to focus on all the other times that you were done right by him or her. That's going to give you joy. That's going to give you joy. And when you put the gospel first in your life, your joy is going to be unstoppable, just as it was for Paul. Church family, I, I pray. I pray. I prayed this actually earlier before I even came out. But I pray that all of us here today would make a vow right now to choose that second option. I'm, 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 gonna cho- I'm not saying that I'm not going to have conflict, but I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to lash out on it and become this bitter person. No, I'm going to choose to find the good. I pray that you would make that commitment today. I pray, listen, I pray, I pray this morning, this morning too, that we would be a church that is known, not for our bitterness, not for our conflicts, but that we would be known in this church, in this community, and beyond as a church that is known for its Christian joy. That, 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 that we would be a church that finds the good in all of the situations, even if the situation is bad. That we would choose to find the good. That we, would be, that we would choose to forgive others. That we would not hold a grudge against someone when we are wrong, whether it's in these four walls or outside these four walls, whether it's in ministry or not. That we would choose to forgive others. Most of all, though, I, I pray this. I, I pray that we would be a body of believers that, while different, is unified in Christ. That's what I want us to see. I think that's what would honor God, that we would be unified in Christ, that we would be dedicated to making His name known, that we would be willing to lock hands with one another to do ministry with each other and share this message of the gospel. 
This message that brings hope. This message that brings peace. This message that brings joy to the rest of the world. I believe if we do those things, God's going to honor it. This church is going to grow. It's going to thrive, not just numerically, but spiritually. God will begin to do exceedingly more and more than we could have ever asked or imagined when we are unified with each other, when we are willing to forgive one another, when we lock hands with each other and we choose to look for the good and to make the gospel first in our lives. Let's pray as we close.